Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right, I am so glad that you are here. And uh, be sure to let me know that you're with us here in the, in the comments. And we're getting started today as we're continuing our walk through the book of Acts. And we're getting to see the early church in action because it's such a model for us today. And uh, we need to get back to that in so many ways. And so what we're doing, we're getting God's word into our life. We're getting uh, that out of our lives into the world around us so that we can influence and impact our world. And uh, so if you have a Bible, be sure to get that out. If you want to take some notes, because we got some good stuff today. And um, I tell you, we see so much division in our world today. And uh, it was no different back then, back in, in the New Testament. You know, there was division, but uh, there was something so different about those early believers, um, and certainly very different from the way that we do it today. And so as we look at their lives, and we're looking in Acts chapter 4, and starting in, well, really from 32 to 37, we're going to see how they live together. We like to use that phrase doing life together. Well, they really did life together. I mean, that that's what they were all about. And this uh, Acts 4, 32 through 37, this is kind of a throwback to what we saw in Acts 2 that, that described what the church really looked like and what it was all about. And so what does it look like and, and why were they able to have unity in a way that we find it hard to have unity today? Well, the first thing that they did, check this out, they had one heart and mind, okay? They were united in their, their purpose and in their, just in their love for each other. Verse 32 says, all the believers were one in heart and mind, and um, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Some people say, well, is that like the does the Bible promote uh, socialism or you know communism? No, 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 no. That's not what it's all about. Because socialism and communism, those are like the government enforcing you know taking what you have and giving it to someone else. That's not what Christianity is all about. That's not what what generosity is all about. Generosity is that we choose to share with one another and take care. Of one another. It's a totally different concept. And uh, this says that, that all the believers were one with all the other believers. And this is mind-blowing because there were thousands of believers at this time. I mean, how could they all be one and unified in that way? 
Well, it starts by, you know, you're not giving your heart and your soul to someone else uh, and to all these people. What you do and what everyone does, giving our hearts to Jesus and his lordship and his mission, they knew the central, like what the good news of Jesus was all about. And they all shared that in common. And they focused on what they had in common with each other. They knew Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life. They believed and knew that Jesus died for their sins. They knew that he rose from the dead. They knew that Jesus was raised and exalted to the right hand of the Father, that Jesus had commissioned them to go out and to reach people and to tell people and to serve people and care for people and love people. And they knew that Jesus was going to come back again personally one day for his uh, family, for his church. And so all of those things, that's what united them. And, um, you know, we can have differences and variety and, and different thoughts and opinions. But let me tell you, we got to be unified around the most important thing. And that is, who is Jesus? What did he call us to do? And so they were so convinced of the great commission that Jesus had given them that they were all in. They gave everything they had to share the word of God, even in the face of these threats that had risen up and persecution None of that could slow them down from sharing the good news and living out Jesus' mission. And I'm telling you, we are living in a day of increased uh, persecution that's on the rise, that, that, that our world thinks. In fact, I, I heard this the other day that, uh, you know, it used to be that if your neighbors, a couple decades ago, if your neighbors knew that you were a Christian, they probably thought, they probably thought, well, that person's probably a pretty good person. That person's probably even more moral than I am and, um, and more loving than I am. But today, because of the, the, the world being kind of turned upside down and uh, right being called wrong and, and anything goes, now people, your neighbors, if they know you're a Christian— they might look at you and they might think, well, that person's probably a bigot. That person's probably hateful. Um, and so they don't necessarily think that you're more moral than they are. So it, it presents some, some challenges, but these are not uh, challenges that we can't overcome because obviously the church in the New Testament was thought of as to be, they were thought of as a fringe, you know, cult on the edge. And yet because of, their passion for Jesus and their love for people, they ended up turning the world upside down. They knew Jesus is Lord, so they gave everything they had to serve him, and they totally surrendered to his lordship. Jesus was their life, their direction, their mission, their purpose, everything that they wanted, and they lived and existed to obey and to follow after Jesus. And why did they do it? They did it out of thankfulness to God for what he had done to save them, but also so that people could be saved from sin and death and hell and have the promise and the hope of eternal life. In fact, the opposition that they faced and the persecution they faced only 
inspired them more, fired them up more, gave them more boldness and more energy in their efforts to change the world. And that should be the same with us today. And the early Christians, they knew what it meant to have Jesus as the Lord of their lives. It meant surrendering everything that you have so that the whole world would know that no one has to die without Jesus. No one has to die without knowing that their eternity is secured, that they're forgiven, and and people can have a life that goes on forever, but it starts right now. And so the, the early believers just couldn't keep that message to themselves, no matter what it was going to cost them personally or financially. They had to get the message out. They also gave their heart and their soul to Jesus' command to love and to share what they had with people in need. You know, they didn't say what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine and I want it. And, you know, the the common wisdom is get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can, right? But uh, they didn't keep their stuff to themselves. They weren't selfish. They didn't put their trust in money. They put their trust in God. They didn't take from others so that they could have. They didn't cheat others. Uh, they didn't uh, flaunt what they had you know, in front of others, and they didn't, um, you know, they weren't, they weren't keeping even, you know, more than they needed, because they knew that God had promised to take care of them. They knew that there was more to come. They knew that God had uh, blessings in store for them, that they would be rewarded for their faithfulness to Christ. They knew that, um, that as they loved others and they served others sacrificially, and that God owns it all, and that since God gave it to them, he could give them more if he wanted to. I mean, they knew that they were on this planet to serve Christ and to help others and do everything they could to help others. So yes, they met the necessities of their own family. They took care of their families. Then they gave what they had left to meet the needs of a lost, desperate, um, poor world around them, people who were in need. They believed in hard work. You know, they weren't just sitting back. And this is an issue today because we've lost that work ethic and that value of hard work. Like if you don't work, you're not going to have what you could in order to give it away to others, right? And so Ephesians 4.28 says that a true believer is to labor working with your hands so that you can give to those in need. And they also knew and believed that they were blessed to be a blessing. God blesses us not just so we can keep it all to ourselves, but so that we can bless others. And as we live open-handedly, what happens? God is able to continue to get more stuff in. When we live close-handedly and selfishly, God can't get any more in there. And so they were open-handed. And you say, well, who is rich? Who is rich today? Well, if you're listening to this, I assume you've probably got a, a cell phone. You've probably got, um, you know, a, a cell service, a mobile phone service, internet, computer. Um, you know, we have so much. You'll probably eat today if you haven't already. You probably even slept indoors. I don't know. But, um, you know, unless we use what we have to help others, then there are 
many people, millions of people in our world who will continue to die from disease. I mean, people die today from lack of uh, water, you know, uh, safe drinking water. People die from just uh, simple diseases that could be prevented. And we'll continue to talk about this, but, you know, the hungry will continue to starve. The cold will continue to freeze. The unclothed will continue to be uh, embarrassed and be outcast. The unhoused will continue to uh, suffer from exposure to the elements. The uneducated will continue to be ignorant. And uh, the lost will, most importantly, the lost will continue to die with apart from Jesus. And so we've got to leverage what we have to make a difference in the world. The problem is, you know, we, I mean, the problem is certainly our selfishness, but even so, when, even when there's these big fundraising efforts to, to make a difference in other countries, we see that, that there is selfish leadership in our world that if they have the opportunity to take it from those they're called to serve and they're called to lead, they just enrich themselves. And so we are in desperate need today of Christ-like leadership. It is in short supply. And, you know, there are some businessmen and there are some leaders with the ability to understand the needs and even to meet those needs. And, and much of what we see today could be eliminated by some of the world's leaders if they would surrender their lives to Christ. And that's what we hope to see. We need godly leaders. We need Christ-like leaders. We, we need to be praying for our world leaders, that they would come to know Jesus, and uh, that could change our world in so many different ways. Now, obviously, I say many times, the answer to our problems is not found in government, you know, but man, the government's problem could be solved if they came to know Jesus, okay? Jesus said that he, he talked about Lazarus and, and the rich man, and he said this rich man's soul went to hell because he indulged in life's pleasures and his own desires and his extravagance and his selfishness and hoarding, and he didn't care for other people. And listen, there, there, we, we also have a responsibility. If we're living that way, we've got to be willing to, to give and, and serve because God cares for those who are in need. God loves those who are in need. And, uh, you know, in, in many ways, we will be held accountable. Now, I saw this video. I want to share this with you that I saw on social media. And it's a, I, I don't even know the guy's name and I didn't care to look it up. Uh, <laughs> he's a YouTuber and he kind of does these internet pranks. And so he goes out onto the street. He finds this homeless guy. You're not going to believe this. This is very frustrating to say the least. And I'm going to unpack it after we watch it. Let's see. Check this out. Right, right here. Los Angeles, California has the third biggest homeless population in the United States. And today it's my job to make sure there's one less hungry person on the streets. Hey, excuse me, sir. Hey, I was wondering, are you hungry by any chance, man? All right, man, I got you. Would you like a Baconator, fries, a drink? Is that cool? All right, what's your name, man? Israel. God bless you, Israel. I got you. I'll be right back, man. Get one Baconator combo, please. Yes, sir. 
yeah, what's the difference? Yeah, man, I got you a, I got you a Sprite, a large fry, to a Baconator, man. I was homeless myself, so I, I want to make sure you get on the right path. And, you know, you're always able to, you know, get back on your feet. You know, so I, just, I want you to enjoy this. Yeah, he's eating that himself. This is really good. All right, take care. Have a nice day. In front of that guy. Okay. So, you know, trying to be funny, but to go and taunt somebody who is hungry and homeless. But, you know, as I'm kind of unpacking that, the thought occurred to me that... How often do we really do that? You know, uh, when we see a need, we see somebody who's in need and yeah, we're not going to go put it in their face and just, you know, just, uh, you know, eat that and keep it from this homeless person. But we do it when we don't care and we flaunt what we have in front of others. I think in some ways we can be guilty of that same Thing. We can uh, we can be guilty of that in our own lives, and we don't see that we're going to be held accountable for our selfishness. And not only that, but the difference it makes when you see a need and you meet a need. God cares so much about our physical suffering, so you know He cares about our spiritual and our eternal suffering. He cared so much that He gave his son, to give his life so we could be forgiven. And if we keep the good news to ourselves, that's on us. So many times we have to uh, lend a hand before we touch a heart, you know. We've got, to, um, we've got to be able to meet a need, a practical need in someone's life in order to meet a real deeper spiritual need in their life. And the deepest need that everyone has is that people are lost and doomed apart from Jesus. And so we have this responsibility that God has given to us. I heard this story, uh, and it's not in the Bible. This is just a made-up story. But the story goes that God is in heaven, and an angel basically comes up to God and says, says, uh, well, you know, looking down on the cross and says, what now? Well, my plan is for the church to share what Jesus has done with the world. And the angel looks down and he says, he knows how um, quickly we forget and how uh, fickle we are as people. And he says to God, he says, well, what if they don't? What if they don't share? What if they, they just take it for granted and they don't tell anyone? What is plan B? And God said, there's no plan B. You, you and I are his plan A to share Jesus and the good news of Jesus with the world. God isn't going to you know, send his angels to, to witness to people. It's up to us. We have to be willing to go and get personally involved and get our hands dirty and sacrifice what we have. That's the only way that the needs of our world will ever be met. And the question is, you know, we're talking still about unity. How do we have unity with what one another? Well, we unite around our shared mission, our shared purpose. The Bible says without vision, the people perish. 
We've got to come together. If we're focused on the mission with, with one another, then we don't have time for, for infighting and for other kinds of silly divisions. We, we need to be focused on what God has called us to do. When we are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, we become one as we are following after His purpose. And, and, and so there's, there's something else. You know, when people surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, God's Spirit works in us to give us a kind of supernatural love for one another. And He also bonds us together. He bonds us together with strong bonds that cannot be broken. That's what uh, the one Spirit creates one heart and one soul in the church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. You know, I'm not a fan of, you know, any math, but uh, (laughs) certainly not division. But uh, he says, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Okay, and this comes when we get on mission, we tell people about what Jesus did. Verse 33, that was just one verse that we've talked about so far, verse 32, but verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. When you, you know, you're on mission for God, He sustains you, He supports you, He he uh, empowers you, and they saw that, and people saw that. People saw the grace of God on the lives of these early Christians, and that was drawing them to Jesus. What is the good news that they testified to? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That is at the center of what we believe. If there's no resurrection, then Paul says, our hope, our faith is in vain. Listen, the resurrection is more than just a great ending to the story of Jesus. It's more than just a vindication of Jesus. The resurrection is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus, okay? And so a lot of times, you know, you're talking to a a non-Christian and they say, you know, I believe in God and I can believe in Jesus and Jesus is a good man, he's a moral teacher, but there's a rub, there's a problem, and that is... You also need to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean, that can be a huge like stumbling block for people. Listen, if you believe that Jesus raised from the dead, then you can believe in all the miracles in the Bible. And, you know, people will say, well, I can go along with what you say, but, uh, but you know, I can't get past the resurrection, because we know dead people don't come back to life, right? Um, And people are like, do I have to believe that? Well, yeah, you do. You do. That's what it's about. And the challenge of our belief in Christ's resurrection isn't something that started when we discovered, you know, modern science and naturalistic thinking. I mean, back then, they knew dead people don't rise up. And so some people started teaching back in the 
Bible times even, they start saying, oh, there's, you know, you can be a Christian. You don't have to believe the resurrection. Maybe he raised in a spiritual sense. Some people said it wasn't possible. Some people, you know, had a problem with the idea of, you know, corpses, you know, like zombies coming back to life. Listen, um, there are churches today that have fallen into the same foolish thinking to think, well, you don't have to believe in, in the resurrection of Jesus. That's what it's about. Jesus raised from the dead. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. And he is alive today. And uh, there's lots of proof, and I've done teaching on this before, um, for why we know that Jesus raised from the dead. But we shouldn't allow other people's poor doctrine to destroy the great hope of salvation for us and for the world. The gospel is simply the good news. And then finally, they were one because they knew how to care for those in need. And I want to read the rest of this passage here. Check it out. It says that there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And then we'll talk about Joseph in a minute, the last two verses. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so we see this um, this one person kind of embody this generosity. But listen, if as you look at this, you see that in the early church and how different our lives would be today and our world would be today if we were this generous and this loving and this caring. No one had any need. There were no needy people. They couldn't find them. They couldn't find needy people. No one was left out. Um, no one you know, had to face the day without food or clothing or shelter. Um, why? Because they had real love for people. And then second, they repented of their selfishness and their greed. You know, we're naturally selfishness, selfish. The, the first words that a baby says, you know, usually aren't mama or daddy or dada. They are, it is mine, mine, right? If you had kids, you know, we're born selfish and, and you know, we think the world revolves around us. Well, they turned from that. They said, no, this isn't about me. In fact, if I have, uh, uh, some land that I don't need, or if I have a house that I don't need to live in, you know, I'm going to sell it and I'm going to use it to make a difference. I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. And uh, that was a mark of their love. They also, the needy people, on the other hand, only received what they needed. I saw another video I could could have shared with you but there was a food stand that was set up where it had just on the street a lot of different food that people could come and it said like if you're hungry take one and so person comes by and takes you know some milk person comes by takes you know some fruit a couple people come by and take some things and then this one person comes by and just grabs everything and they doesn't know they're on camera probably doesn't care they're on camera just grabs it all says, oh, I got a big family. I'm taking it all, okay? No, no. You take what you need. And um, so, you know, there are reasons people cannot support 
themselves today. I mean, it's just things happen in life where you need help and people need help. And, you know, Jesus said this uh, in Matthew 26, 11. He said, you will always have the poor among you. And he was actually quoting from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 15, 11. So we know that there's always going to be people with more and people with less, you know, for a variety of reasons. But the early church, they kept it simple. They looked to find the need. They looked at what they had to meet the needs, and they did something about it. Sometimes we say, God, why don't you do something about this? We see a need. God, do something about this. And God says, I did something about it. I I made you aware of it, and I gave you the heart and the ability to make a difference in one life at a time. And, And you know, we, yeah, we cannot, you know, feed the world and we cannot get everybody off the street, but we can do for one, what we wish we could do for the many. And God says, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you as you are obedient to care for others. And then this last thing that we see is this one guy, Barnabas. We're going to talk about him at length as we get on into the book of Acts. But, uh, Barnabas, his name means encourager, and you know he was gifted by God's spirit with the gift of, of apostleship. He was totally committed to Christ. He stood up and he defended Paul before others. He was sent out to encourage believers. I mean, this guy was an example for us. He discipled John Mark. He um, he is mentioned as an example by Paul. And um, we see all this great, the great example that Barnabas had for us. And the truth is, I just want to leave you with this. You can be an encourager. You can lead by example. You know, when I look at Barnabas, I think, man, I got a long way to go to reach that level of generosity and that level of encouragement. And wouldn't you like for your life to be measured and remembered as an encourager? If you want that, then you got to think about what is most important in life. You know, when we see disunity, we say, I'm going to be a unifier, a uniter. I'm going to encourage. I'm not going to be easily offended. I'm going to pour into other people and lift them up, even if it means that they have more... um, than I do, even if it means that they have more influence than I do. Um, I'm going to lift people up. And so God has to come first. People have to come second. And they have, you know, even before you, that's where people come. But you say, well, why would I do that? Well, listen, if you will do that, God will be glorified. People will be lifted up and you will be rewarded uh, in your life. And so I hope that you, you know, find an opportunity this week, even today, say, I'm going to encourage some people. I'm going to send that text. If you think it, it's good, say it, encourage people, thank people, and um, let's go out and let's make a difference today in the world around us. Let's be united. Let's not focus on our small differences, but let's focus on what we have in common, that we have Christ in common as believers. Let's encourage each other. We need lots of encouragement today, right? So let me pray for you as we close. 
Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you for those who are listening. I pray that you bless them today. God, that you're providing for their needs. You're blessing us, God, so that we can be a blessing. Help us to live with open hands, knowing, God, that you have so much more that you can pour into those hands that are generous, that you know we're going to be faithful with what you've given us. God, so thank you for that. And just unite us, God, as believers, and especially in our local churches. God, unite us, we pray, around your mission and around your truth and around your lordship, that you are Lord, you are good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, this has been fun. Thank you so much. I hope to see you next week as we continue our study through Acts. And so have a blessed rest of the week. Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast. Connect.